All right, lesson 10. Just to uh, let you know, we are, we are going through the, a section of Proverbs. We're not going through the whole, whole book. I've mentioned very strongly, though, Proverbs 31, which is more of an appendix to the book, mm-hmm. although it's an integral part of the book of the uh, uh, virtuous woman. We talked about that a lot here, and why, in my personal opinion, again, is why is this whole very needed and, 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 and beautiful section about a godly woman? Why is it tacked to the end of the book of Proverbs? Why? Well, my personal opinion is because we're going to see it right here. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is equated to a she. And she's not only equated to a she, you're going to see that wisdom in that context is a very close and wonderful and much loved and beautiful companion of the Lord himself, of God himself, as he created everything. And if you think about it, the extension of the husband and wife is that no two people should ever create, if you will, quote-unquote, a child unless they are bound as husband and wife, right? The whole process of creation, and for you and I to be able to create, and I use that in quotes, right? Children is a privilege and is a type of trying to show us when you have two beings, in the case of God, three, but in, in human beings it's two, male and female, together as one for the purpose of doing something as wonderful and as miraculous as creation. See what I'm saying? We're supposed to understand through marriage and through procreation, through marriage, God's heart on what he thinks about creation and how special it is. We know that he said that when he created everything that the angels, what? They jumped for joy because it was something so special. And don't forget, the angels were created before this creation, this physical universe, which we know is just a simulation, is not real. I mean, it's real enough, but it's not real like eternity because eternity existed before it, so this is all contrived. Would you agree? This is not as real as you think it is, folks. It's very important to understand. It, put, it puts you and I and the importance of everything here in context when you realize and, and walk through life knowing that this never existed before and the only reason why it exists now is as a, a key part of God's plan. That's it. And when this age is wrapped up, which we'll talk about in the study of prophecy, when the work here is done for the 6,000 years, what's going to happen? This is not going to be destroyed or dissolved. We know that the headquarters of God's throne will be on the earth, or at least in the new Jerusalem that will hover over the physical Jerusalem. My point is, is that everything's going to be recreated, renewed. This is the point. Right now, this whole thing is dying. You're dying as you sit here. This whole universe is dying a heat death. It's called entropy. So I want you to understand that creation is so special to God, and sin is... The major factor of sin is it destroys anything created, right? Satan knows that he has no effect on eternity. He knows that. But you notice what he is trying to do is to destroy this creation. Because we know that the whole creation groans for the revealing of the time of the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, right? And that's when everything's going to be renewed. So you cannot renew something that doesn't have the possibility of being destroyed because there's no reason to renew it unless it's in the process of dying. Make sense? Mm -hmm. And God said when he created everything, it was good. This universe is not so good. Your body is not so good. My body definitely ain't so good. Look at me. I am not an animal. Okay. So wisdom. Wisdom, I'm trying to show you how important creation is, the act of creation, the planning, the detailed construct of the plan and then the execution of the plan. 
when you create something that you can create, quote-unquote, because of your mind that God has given you in the image of God, like when you create something of art, or if I fix my car and it runs really well, or if I, you know, do something around the house that even my wife likes, that's, that's good. That's a creation that is of value, right? It's something new or something you've made better. That's the pride that God has in creation, and we're allowed to sample that. And I want you to know that, of course, we can't understand how God feels about creation, but we can know from what he's allowed us to do to enjoy. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it well. There is no device. There is nothing to manipulate. There is no thought when you enter the grave. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have eternal life wherever you go. It's just that your time here, your ability to use what we have here is done to create. Make sense? So I want you to see, as the preface to this, wisdom is God's key, beautiful companion during the creation process. And I want you to understand how important wisdom is because that's why he's trying to tell us that. And that's why I believe, again, if you want to understand why wisdom is equated to a female, look at Proverbs 31. And it not, not only defines the virtuous woman, but it defines what God thinks about his female companion in this context, wisdom. Make sense? Okay, I want you to feel this in your heart. Yes, I do have a heart, by the way. And I can feel. I am not an animal. All right, next. <laughs> Lesson 10. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to um, expand on a concept that was given in Lesson 9. So you can go to Proverbs uh, chapter 6 and verse 1. We talked about in Lesson 9 the evil that man does to ensnare himself, or it will ensnare him. We made it clear. We talked about adultery, and we keep, we keep on hearing that subject here in Proverbs, how destructive it is, how destructive all the things that wrap around it, even, even not directly adultery itself, but the, the heart of adultery, the heart of a harlot, the, the heart of a man who would go to a prostitute or, or pornography or anything. That's, these, these, are, these are key destructive points that it brings out here. So we talked about that. We also talked about the evil of associating with those who associate or do these things and also those who lie in wait for blood and the thieves, and of, of which we are told, and especially in the New Testament, that you and I were part of. I am not proud of my past, but I can assure you, even though I was not a murderer, at least, if, I guess I can't be a murderer because if I ever killed somebody, I didn't know it, I'm not a murderer. No, I never did those things, but I did a lot of things which were just as bad in God's eyes, right? So you and I, and I'm, my, my point is you and I, as we are told in the New Testament, were formerly part of all of these things. We're the ones that we need to avoid. <laughs> Isn't that, doesn't that hit home? God's basically saying to me, don't hang out with anybody like you before I saved you, before I gave you life and life more abundantly. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. This is the point. So we're seeing that. So here's an extension of that concept of evil and the avoidance of it and watching it because it's, 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 it's totally destructive. So the, 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 the title of Lesson 10 is, it's an expansion on the principle of Proverbs 5 and 22, which is, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. Expanding on the fact that we must learn, that we may think we're getting away with something. Those who obviously do these things who are not Christian, who have no cause for God or do these things in the name of another God, they think they're getting away from something. Again, you and I see what's happening in this world. Well, the movers and the shakers of this world think they're getting away. Satan still thinks he's going to get away with something, right? Preachers, of false preachers of the word who bend and twist 
They think they're getting away with something because now they have people who follow them and they think they're going to get money and pride. And, and you know what? Verily, verily, they are told they already have their reward. That's it. So here's the disgusting and ugliness of it. It's an extension to that eventually all people, all of them, everybody who does evil will be ensnared by their own trap. So this is an extension of that concept. Again, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. So let's go on here. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have struck hands and pledged another, if you have been tra trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to set yourself free. Okay? The first part of this is actually, well, we talked about it last week. I forgot to tell you this. We talked about living in debt, which can be evil if you live in debt. It can destroy you. And many of us have learned that we must live in debt to be successful in this society. And our government is doing that, and the world is doing that. You know the whole economy is ready to crash. And there's no way around it, folks. It doesn't matter who you vote for. We're done. We're done. I'm on a doomsday sayer. I'm telling you. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they say. So it says here, but also what it's talking about is being indebted to somebody because you either made a pledge to that person that you can't keep or you have done something that they have lent you something and you can't pay it back in, the, in that context. So that's what it's saying here. Let's, let's start reading that again. If you have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth, that means if you have entered into a verbal contract with somebody that you can't repay or if you said something that you shouldn't have said and now there's animosity or something you know that's hard to take back those things are long remembered those things have very long legs right mm -hmm. I know I've been the recipient of some of those things and I've also said some of those things and even though there's forgiveness and repentance and all that stuff the result could last a lifetime so what he's saying here then do this if you have done that then in verse 3 it says then do this my son to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. That make sense? Hopefully it makes sense because it says it here. Probably God's word, it probably makes sense. And then he further says, this is so important. Allow, in verse 4, <clears throat> allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. He's saying, you have been squarely trapped by what you said or what you pledged or what you did. Now, while you, if you have the opportunity, you have to work very hard to free yourself. And this is how you should start doing it. Then he says, and this is an extension. That's why it may seem disconnected, but it's not. Because we just learned about getting into debt, pledging something, making a pledge. By the way, what we just said is, aren't we warned? Aren't people warned about making vows to God? Right? Because it's the same thing here. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you destroy, destroy it in the way, right? You know that scripture. What about the other places where it says if you make a vow, you better, fill, you better not make a vow to God because if you can't fulfill it, most probably you will not be able to fulfill it. You're going to be in worse shape than if you never made that vow before. Let Jesus handle the things that he needs to fulfill in you rather than you or I saying, yes, God, I will do this in your name. And by the way, that goes to that legalistic church that we talked about. We told God, we will keep your law. Really? So then, of course, we make excuses for the fact that we can't keep it. And, and of course, headquarters, headquarters, though real don't know the Bible. See, so you and I can't know the Bible. You know other religions that do this too? Like, 
other churches we've talked about. <laughs> you really can't know the Bible, so we'll interpret it for you. And by the way, if we come to your house and feel the TV and it's warm, see nowadays with, with LCDs, they don't get warm that badly, so maybe it'll pull off by the time the pastor comes. We'll make sure that your radiator isn't warm, that you didn't drive on the Sabbath. By the way, you know, everything's an ox in the dish, so, you know, also, so if you, if you have to work, you know, you're not supposed to work, people have lost jobs, but if you, if you vow that you'll keep the Sabbath, but you, you break it, well, it's an ox in the ditch. It's an ox in the ditch. I had more oxes in my ditches. I should have been having meat in my freezer for years. I don't have any of it left. You see the problem here? This is a snare, and it's a snare that you will, will it's, like a, it's like more like a spider's web. The more you try to break free, the more it tangles you up, like barbed wire. Why, though, in verse 6, does it seem to change a little bit? So let's, let's read verse 5 and go to verse 6, and, and we'll see if we can understand why the thought seems to change, but it really doesn't change. It says something very important, in my opinion. Chapter 6 and verse 5. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. So you're going to free yourself from what you've now entangled yourself in, which we just talked about. Then it says, right away, right after that, go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways and be wise. You know what this is basically saying, right? If you got into a pledge with your neighbor or you got into debt because you're not earning enough to actually do what you think you want to do, like buy the fancy car or the bigger home or the, uh, the lawn tractor. Remember that commercial a few years ago? You remember, right? This guy's got a beautiful home and beautiful everything. He's on his tractor. He's got this big pie-eating grin. Somebody help me. That's how most people live today. And it's going to crash. And when the crash comes, it's going to be a huge fall. So he's saying here, basically, rather than play the lottery, rather than go to Foxwood and try to get involved with debt to gain something, and you see there are many people who are sick. They're sick psychologically because they get into this mode of trying to get something for nothing. And the government's more than happy to take your money in a rigged game, and they'll supply you an 800 number paid for by the taxpayers. Obama phone, that's right. Yeah, you, you can use an Obama phone for it, too. You can call them and make an appointment to help you help yourself get out of this gambling sickness that you're now entangled with. You see how sick this is? Oh, I think she was teasing one. Oh, yeah, because they give... They on any kind of subsidies is entitled to a cellular phone with text Oh, now? Yeah. I thought it was just in Oklahoma City. Yeah, but is that what that is? I didn't even know that. Do you really? How do you deliver? I'm a mailman and Boy, you see a lot of stuff. No kidding. I did not know that. I, I only. I know from the seniors I work with. Yeah. It's just the. Ah, bum, 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 bum. But you see, I mean, doesn't that further. It, it, thank you, because these are great examples, right? That I don't even know of. And you see it in your own lives how the system seeks to entangle you even more in its web. And then they think they're smart. Where is Obama going to give me Obama money? Remember when he first became president and they were interviewing these people? Where is he going to get it from? The interviewer asked. I don't know. I don't know. He's going to get it from his stash. He's going to give me money from his stash. Really? Really? Where does it come from? It's a pride in it, isn't it? Yes, it's a pride. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Welfare used to be a stigma many years ago, even before I was a young man. Now it's a yes, it's a badge. Right. Yeah, because now you're getting over on somebody. 
if you look at the, the mentality today, it's not unification in a, in a good way like it used to be back in the days when the immigrants came and so forth. Everybody banded together in their ghettos because they knew each other, they had the same language, they worked together, and they worked hard to build a life for themselves that they were trying to escape from Europe, right? That, that's right. But now, anybody who happens to be just born is entitled to something. You see how the end of the age is rolling as rolling out. That's, this is why... You know, take heed in the last days, we're told, that peoples will be lovers of themselves, they'll be truce breakers, they will be blasphemous. You know what that scripture says. So, you know, why? Why? Because we're at that time, and we see the results of it. So this is talking, speaking directly to that. And thank you for these examples. It's great to share this stuff. So he says here, instead of getting a, an Obama phone, or Obama cash, and Bush, by the way, I mean, with the Homeland Security, I'm not just banging Obama. But you see where these men's hearts are. And they are not for God. They are for the occult and they are doing something else. They're planning for something else. So instead of getting involved with that, or even when it doesn't involve the government, how many people go, like I said, to Foxwoods or, or the casinos or play poker or do these things? And I'm not saying any of that sin, so I'm not judging anybody. What I'm saying is if you do this to get gain and you do it on a regular basis, you know what? <laughs> you got to be careful. What about these people who are panhandlers, you know? And I don't mean the, the real poor destitute. I mean the people who are wealthy and they still go out and they get the, any way they can. So he's saying here, instead of doing that, which is human nature, and Satan will love you to do that, free yourself. Go to the ant, you slug it, and consider its ways. Verse 7, it has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Nothing makes the ant do what it's supposed to do. Because the ant has been built like a little robot. Which, of course, if we were built like big robots, then we would say to God, you didn't give me free will. I was, you programmed me to be productive and to do the right thing, so therefore I had no choice. Well, no one can ever say that to God, right? So it says, but watch an animal or an insect, and you never notice the lower level the animal or insect is as far as what we would consider the, with ability. The more automatic it lives its life. We saw that in Job, when God says he made these animals and, and he deprived the ostrich of wisdom. He says that in the book of Job, so that she lays an egg and forgets where it is. But it's addressed in the book of Job. God made animals to be tools, to beautify the earth and to be our companions and, and also to use as tools like horses and oxen and to be used for food. That's why human beings are not because we're not made, although our DNA is very similar because we live in this physical time space, we are different creatures. We are made in the image of God. That's what Satan doesn't want you to know. That's why everything is topsy-turvy. You have to worship the creation, but human beings are the ones destroying everything, really. So this is what he's saying here. All right. Yet, verse 8, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food and harvest. How many of you are getting the emails of my telling you to prepare? And I said in my last email to you, before this one I sent this morning about what we're doing, I made it clear to you, because I see this, and maybe you see this, maybe you don't. I think, unfortunately, too many Christians are prone to be well, some of those who will not prepare because they have trust in the Lord. And you cannot convince them. And that's why I put that scripture in there, if you saw it, about Joseph's preparation with the Pharaoh for Egypt. When God warned them, you will have seven years of absolute abundance. You better use that seven years and you better come up with a plan to provide for the following seven years, right? And what happened the following seven years? 
Not only was it famine, absolutely correct, but not only was it famine, what does it say in that scripture I sent you? If you read it, it will tell you that the warning was, the war and this is key, you should read it. I know my emails are long. When you read an article in the newspaper, look at my email like a newspaper and read the thing. I'm not trying to embarrass you to do anything. You can do whatever you want. You can delete my emails. That's why I, I even ask people, you know I sent out that email saying, if you don't want to be on my deal list, if this insults you or you don't like it, you don't have to be. I'm trying to press anything on you. It takes me a while to write these emails because I am trying to teach you the things that I have learned. So if you read an article, you read the Wall Street Journal or you read the New York Times or the local Sentinel here, if you have the time to read an article about what's happening with the local school board, that's fine. Please try to take some time and read those emails. I know there's an aversion to long emails. I have it too. But, you know, there's something you might want to learn. And in that scripture I put in there, it says what? God said that when the seven years of famine come, he made it clear <laughs> that it's going to be so severe that the seven years of good times before that are going to be totally forgotten. That's how bad it's going to be. That's how bad it's going to be here, folks. We are headed for sheer destitution. If you lived in Staten Island right now in New York, or the coast areas of New Jersey, you're going to remember the party you had for your birthday three weeks ago? You're going to remember that you could go down to the store and buy a big steak for the final barbecue for the season that you just did, or you could do it tomorrow or the next day? I can go out and buy a gallon of milk right now. I don't need a cow. You ever appreciate the things that we can do? Because you're going to forget about it when you're in destitution like those people, and then wait for the government to come. Prepare, folks, now! Anybody on insulin, anybody on drugs that you cannot disengage from very quickly without having psychological or other physical damage to you, you better start thinking about stocking up. Because I was going to say, because I've been on thyroid meds and I've been trying to find a source. If you live in Staten Island right now, where do you think you're going to get your meds from? But your insurance That's if you can get it. That's right. That's right. All right, well, I don't know, but all I'm saying... Right, and God will provide... Okay, we know that God will provide. Even if he has to send a raven with your insulin shot in its mouth, I'm convinced he'll do it. But he's not going to allow you and I to get away with just doing nothing, being, and I hate to say it, Pollyannish about it, with our heads in the Bible in the sand, because we praise the Lord and we don't do anything else. He's saying, look at the animals that I make to prepare. And doesn't he say in the New Testament not to worry that even the sparrows, which are less important than you, are fed, right? Have you ever thought about how that dovetails into this? On the one hand, we shouldn't worry, which is true, that if we seek first the kingdom of God, what does he say? And doesn't he also say, Jesus himself, from his lips, he says what? Look at the beauty of the lilies of the field. They don't worry, and they don't spin. They don't make their own beautiful clothes. And yet, they're destined to be cast into the fire. They're worth really nothing as far as the grand scheme of God is concerned, other than being beautiful and whatever they do for the moment. Same thing with animals. Same thing with sparrows. He says, look at them. They do not sow nor reap. They don't prepare seed and, and harvest, do they? And yet, he feeds them. And then he says... There is not one hair on your or my head, which I'm losing quickly, so his count for me is going down. Yeah, don't worry. Some of you guys laughing out there. It's for you too. <laughs> but he's got every hair on your head numbered. So why, 
and you know why. I'm just asking this as a rhetorical question because I really want you to consider why I say to prepare. Because he's saying on the one hand, I will provide, and we know there are other instances in Scripture, like that older woman with her son who Elisha came to. She says, all I got is this one little measure of meal left. We're going to eat it, then die. And he says, well, first bake me a cake. It's like, you selfish thing. <laughs> but why does God use an ironic situation like that? Because he makes a point. If you obey him in your need and blindly trust him in your faith, which does please God, it's the only way you can please God like that woman, then what happened after she obeyed him? That's right. Look at the menorah. What is Hanukkah about? They needed oil to light that menorah after they cleansed the temple of that disgusting filth, of the desecration of it. And God provided oil for eight days. But there's also a time when God will stop provision and you have to start working again. There's also a time to die. There's a season for everything. If, why don't we have eternal life right now, physically? Because of other things. So God promises provision, but there is a qualifier. It's what he's going to do is for you and I in his plan. But he does not want us to be sluggards. He does not want to be such to be so wrapped up in the ethereal Lord and the spirit that we don't do what we need to do to feed our house. Because who is the worst in an infidel as according to scripture? Anybody know that scripture? Say it again. You know what scripture says about you and I men and women if you're a provider in your home? If you do not provide, you are worse than what? An unbeliever. So I'm just making a statement here, folks, because I know sometimes people may get tired of hearing prepare, warning, warning, warning. You also need, if you ab agree with what Scripture says is coming and what we need to be doing here, you need to prepare. And you need to help others to know they need to do that. You know, just don't sing praises and psalms with your Christian brothers and sisters. You need to help them to know that they need to be ready for whatever. Isn't that true? If you know a brother or a sister who is not providing for their family, and they have, a lot of people have excuses. I'm just relying on the Lord. I told you, there was a person I knew who, who well, is a Christian. Not in this class, so don't worry, don't be looking around. Not in this class. Because if anybody in this class, I wouldn't tell you. But, especially with me. But anyway, it's a person who I knew who was so godly. And they studied scripture, and they knew a lot about scripture. That person actually came to this class once, uh, a few years ago. He would actually not go to work every once in a while, and by the way, cheat his employer, because he said he would call in sick, so he could stay home and make sure he studied that Bible. Every once in a while, he had to make sure he studied that Bible all day. Is that what God wants? So, go to the ant, you sluggard. It speaks to me. <laughs> All right, listen, here's verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Pretty terse like me, huh? Verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Prepare. A scoundrel and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth. Now, this is now changing the context a little bit, so we're going to lighten up here. We're going to talk about bad speech. <laughs> A scoundrel and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks with his eye and signals with his feet and motions with things. By the way, I worked for a guy like that. I saw this come to life. Mm -hmm. This guy is a real thief. I don't work for him anymore, thankfully. But I did work for him. And I remember we would sit in a conference room when we have meetings with vendors or customers. 
And we'd be sitting there, and he had a, his right-hand man, a young guy who was his administrator. And I would see them going like this. I told you about that. And I never really, I mean, I knew what he was doing. I'm saying, how deceitful. The, you know, they would see, and if I do this, you say that. or you, if, you know, if I do this, that means, you know, you have to count. However they had it worked out. And they're like this. Under the, uh, I could see him because I'm sitting next to the guys. And I was like, you're either picking a hangnail or you're signaling your buddy. And at one time, a couple of times, he would signal him. All of a sudden, his buddy would go on his cell phone and, and do an email or something. They were signaling back and forth. And what does it say here about that? Verse 13. Who winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in their heart. He always stirs up dissension, and this man did. This man did. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant, when it's time, and he will suddenly be destroyed and without salvation, without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick, to rush into evil, a false witness, a liar, who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. And that's the end of Lesson 10. Is that strong enough for you? Now, it's a great list. Isn't it, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I read that. It's like, I don't really want to see that, Lord. I'm not totally cured of all this yet. <laughs> all right. Lesson 11. A deep exhortation on the solemn, the solemn importance of guarding oneself in the context of the seventh commandment. And again, you shall not commit. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 35. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your, te your mother's teaching. Yet a reminder to watch this stuff and hold it and bind it. Oh, bind them forever around upon your heart. Fasten them around your neck, which is I was just going to say. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. You want sweet sleep, especially nowadays, to get off the meds, to get off the, the sleep aids, to, to stop taking the NyQuil. Did you know that Vicks has a new now non-NyQuil called uh, something, sleep quill or something like that? Yeah, but they're saying now, you know what? Yeah, you may not want to take the acetaminophen because really we know that basically what they're saying, I think. We know that most people take NyQuil because they can't sleep. You don't have all these aches and pains every night. Like, take Tylenol PM because you have pain. Nah, nah, nah. You take it because you're so con in such consternation, you can't sleep. Right? That's what they're basically selling to the public. I hate to say it, but it's true. That's right. But, but why are they hyping it up? Why is it being sold? And why does it sell so well? Basically, what they just did and say, now we don't even have to give you a cold remedy. You don't even need that as an excuse anymore. Just say you can't sleep and buy this stuff and we'll knock you out. And by the way, I've used it for that in the past when I've been sick. It really works good, too. It's 2 o'clock and you finally just give in. That's right. And I'm not saying it's sin. Please trust me. I want you to seriously think about what we do and why we do it. But here he's saying if you want peace, obey what God says. You have to balance it out a little bit because in my, in my own health pursuits, I'm learning that each one of us have complex bodies and that if you have hormone imbalances along oh, sure. with I, I don't doubt that, and I'm glad you said that. I'm just saying, consider so why... Condemning themselves. Yes, I agree with you. And like I said, I've, I've talked about antidepressants, and even Pastor Stan has mentioned it, too. I even used antidepressants for a short time in my life many years ago, okay? And there is a season for people that need... Of course, of course. What I'm saying is, is the Scripture says these things in no uncertain terms for a reason. Because there are plenty of people 
who do have these continuous maladies in their life. They're crippled. MS, uh, Johnny Erickson, Tada, right? Look at the attitudes that these people have. That's all I'm saying. It's a question of attitude. So you all hear that. You know my heart. You know, uh, thank you for clarifying that. I just don't want somebody else to feel, you know, shame or guilt when they're leaving. Thinking, oh, I, I must yeah, please. Th that's right. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's right. Because I had to do it. Uh, I told you. I'm just making it clear that if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it's very easy to live on that stuff and get sucked into the vortex of it. Yeah, and then what? Replace it with a bottle of scotch. You know, I got a lot to do a lot of editing here now. Look, you know that I speak candidly, but you know me well enough now that you've come into this class. And if you haven't come to this class, you ask somebody who knows me. You know what I'm saying. And I'm just, all I'm trying to do is make you think because I have to make myself think. It's too easy to go through life like everybody else does and yet be a Christian. That's why Proverbs, and I'm trying to amplify what Proverbs is trying to say. He makes no bones about it here, right? Go to the ant, you sluggard. How long will you be lazy? Well, God's not mincing words here. And by the way, the man who wrote most of these Proverbs, he himself stopped following his own wisdom that God gave him. And what happened to him? He did not finish well. That does not mean you throw out this baby with the bathwater. It means that if you obey this, you will not follow suit like him who wrote this because we know that the teacher is not him at the, at the end of the day. It's the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants us to know because someone who may study this, not us, not Christians, but someone who may read this, well, you know, I heard about this guy Solomon and you know what, he wrote this stuff, but he's a hypocrite. Have you ever been called a hypocrite because you do something wrong? And yet you, you're a Christian. I've been called a hypocrite because I'm, a, I'm subject to doing things wrong like anybody else. What they don't see is my life. What they may not see is that I've repented what I did. Or they may have misinterpreted what I did as, as a crime or something wrong when in fact it wasn't because they don't know the whole story. That's sometimes I have that problem. I'll attribute to somebody something that they did or didn't do and not know the full story. That's dangerous. I'm guilty of it, just like you are. Talking to me as I talk to you, okay? That's all I'm doing. So, thank you for the clarification. But, it says here, for these, verse 23, oh, let me, let, me, let me just read 22 again, because this is really the premise here. Do these things, obey, bind them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will speak to you. Isn't it wonderful to have these things speak to you all day? And the stronger you become in, in God's word, the more he speaks to you all day. I know scriptures come to my mind, and you all have this too. I don't even know where most of these scriptures are. I just don't, because I'm a technological guy. I don't know where all the chapters and verses. It's not like I, when I have a conversation with somebody, or I read a book, I don't know, this page, like you do, right? This page, I read this fact, it was on this page, and this paragraph three. And God didn't divide it that way. Amen. <laughs> that's right, that's a very good point. That's right. That's right. It's like we're speaking. It's everything was... Yeah, that's absolutely a good point. Perfect point, right? So don't ask me what verse in Scripture is. I can't tell you. And I'm going to say, Veronica's right. He didn't even put those in there. That's right. Amen. But it says, for they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp to this teaching. Uh, this teaching is a light and the corrections for the discipline are the way of life. Keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Verse 26, for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys on your very, very life. We read that in some of, this, some of the uh, no-holds-barred Proverbs from last week, as you remember, right? 
You're strangling yourself with your own cord. This woman's clothing, if you take it off of her and you would commit adultery with her, you're strangling yourself. That's what it basically kind of says in other Proverbs here. Verse 27, he's reasoning with you here. Let me give you an example he's basically saying. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? See, if somebody doesn't understand what he just said, let me give you a real-life example, which you can't understand because he's talking to me, trying to wise me up. And if I'm not even wise enough to really understand these things, especially if I was one who was probably already in adultery, like Solomon had a real problem with adultery. And these others with the concubines and everything, they were so wrapped up in their lust that God actually had to allow for it like he allows for sin just so that the plan can keep going forward without destroying everything, right? So my point is, if I was already involved and I was going down that path, I may not see it as seriously. It may not really comprehend what's going on. All I'm saying is, for whatever the purpose, he's not going to give a solid, like, if you don't believe this, just try this one. You know, try this and see then if you get the point. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Verse 29. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. That is a fact. What did your Bible say on that last verse? Verse 29. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Oh, will go unpunished. Okay. What do you, what do you think I said? Well, I, didn't, I didn't hear you say unpunished. I just heard you say go. He'll go. Yeah, he'll go. <laughs> say ya. Say ya. <laughs> Verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. And by the way, you see what he's saying here. He's not saying it's right. But men will, will sort of look the other way if you're starving and you take some bread because you want to feed your little family. They may even tolerate that much of a crime. Do you see what I'm saying? Yet, verse 31, if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. If you're, if you're caught stealing, you may have to pay restitution. But people will understand, maybe, you know, you were destitute, that's why you stole. People might do that, okay? But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. He's trying to show you in contrast, this is no little sin. You know, every sin is going to keep anybody, anybody out of the... Out of the kingdom of God out of eternity with Jesus Christ and, and God and the Holy Spirit, right? That's what we know for sure. But what he's saying here is that there are sins that we live, that we commit in this life. Some of the sins are sins unto death. Some of the sins, you know, are not so bad as far as you won't die right away. Like if I steal some bread, I can go and repent of it. And if I have the opportunity, I should go make restitution, okay? There are things I've done in my life, even after a Christian, which I've done, and they didn't really hurt anybody, and and I'm not minimizing it. We hear what I'm saying. But I didn't have the opportunity to make restitution, you know? So I repented of it and did try, you know, learn from them and move on. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's just living life. And that's why there's a cycle of repentance and forgiveness. But what he's saying here, in the course of living life, there are some things that if you even do once, it is such an egregious sin that someone's going to die for it or you could be beaten severely or you could alter the course of your life and the lives of many other people instantaneously when you get caught. So the difference between stealing a packet of sweet and low <laughs> that you really didn't use for your coffee while you were sitting at the restaurant, you're not supposed to take anything out of there. If you brought a candy bar into the movies when you know you're supposed to buy the popcorn, you know, those are things that you may or may say are not sin, whatever. I'm not judging that. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, if you do something, certain things are almost inconsequential, even though they may or may not be sin. And if they are sin, you have to repent and move on. But some things are so egregious that they can immediately alter your life 
and the lives of others very quickly. That's what he's trying to say here. You hear me right on this. Okay. Verse 32, here's the thing from the Amplified Version. Verse 32, which what I just said was, but a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. That sounds bad enough. Let me read you the same verse from the Amplified Version. But whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks heart and understanding, moral principle and prudence. He who does it is destroying, current tense, right? Destroying, in the process of destroying his own life. I think that says it a little bit better than the NIV does. Because sometimes the NIV, along with other translations, it loses its thrust. You know, I use the NIV because most people have that. But sometimes, if you know I've done it in the past and I'll do it in the future, I'll use the Amplified or the King James to maybe give a better feel for what the Scripture was actually trying to say. So, Verse 33, blows and disgrace are his lot. Someone's going to get beaten if she's been committing adultery and the guy who's been the... the uh, participant in that may get beaten. Verse 34, for jealousy arouses a husband's fury and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. By the way, there's laws for allowing for that, isn't there? He will not accept any, any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is, because you have touched something that he holds dear. You may steal a man's gold, but you touch his wife and you may die. Jealousy can be that way. And for good reason. And what does God say about jealousy? He is a And that's why there is judgment coming. Verse 34, 35 in the Amplified Version, but I just read. For jealousy makes the wronged man furious. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance upon the detected one or the offender. He will not consider any ransom offered to buy him off from demanding full punishment. Neither will he be satisfied, though you offer him many gifts and bribes. Does sound like a jealous man's reaction to somebody taking his wife? Lesson 12. We're going to wrap up shortly here, folks. We're going to get through it. <laughs> All right. I'm not even going to go through some of this because it's actually even more amplifying the adultery theme. You see how much Proverbs talks about this? It's a subject you're probably sick of hearing about now. But don't worry. Next week we're going to start something new. With that one? Yeah, this guy. Yeah. So, in, in effect, he really was that hypocrite, wasn't he? Just like David was a hypocrite, too. But yet, God said that David was a man after his own heart. You know, every character, and that brings a good point, which is an amplification of that point. There, every single character in the Bible, except for Daniel, and possibly Joseph, although I think there were some issues with Joseph. Show something wrong with them. They're swindlers, they're liars, they're cheats. They're, some of them are adulterers. Some of them are adulterers because their wife told them to go make the adultery, like Abraham. <laughs> right? Go to Hagar, have some fun with her, and bring me a child because that's what you want. And, and by the way, you see the jealousy it caused after that? So here's the point. Here's the point. Take heed about these things and don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because. Because then everybody's a hypocrite. I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. That means I have no right handling the Word of God. All right. Move down here. Uh, well, I'm going to let you read chapter 7 yourself because it just goes more about, about all of this, about uh, adultery and so forth, okay? It talks about also a woman who, and, and the words she might use to bring you, suck you in. I have made my beds beautiful and perfumed them. My husband's away with a big bag of money. Come on, come on. Lesson 13, final. 
This lesson is constructed as a contrast of two types of women. This is my final point. This is going back to this woman type. And wisdom, the wayward wisdom as an embodiment of the type of terminal foolishness which paves the way to the pit. And then the woman who is the Proverbs 31 type of woman. This is the woman type that is the highest testimony and honor to the triune God. Something for women to aspire to and your men will appreciate you. Unless there's something wrong with them and maybe there is. Maybe there's something wrong with me. But I'm telling you, you should do that at least for God. This is the way you've been built. Like us men must be loyal, must be true. We must keep our homes well. We must raise our children well. There are a lot of responsibilities for men too. And judge us by that. Okay? What I'm saying is nobody can be perfect. But I'm just not leaning on women. But this is the point of this, this uh, thing here. She, the personification of wisdom throughout this book, is the most verbose testimony to all of his never-ending facets of beauty and to all of his, God's, wonderful, unfathomable attributes. And she is a companion built for him. Here, wisdom is equated to a woman of fine stature and honor and is indeed a pearl of great price for her God. Okay, and he used her in wisdom. So let's just finish this up. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 36. Does not wisdom call out does not understanding raise her voice? Isn't this a fitting wrap-up for all we've learned here? On the heights, along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud. She's not hiding herself. That's what she's basically saying here. Wisdom is not hiding itself. But we can hide from wisdom as human beings. Verse, eight, uh, verse 4, chapter 8. To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all, all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. Verse 8. All the words, all the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. To the discerning. Which means that if you and I are not discerning, we're going to have problems with what God says in Proverbs. Or anywhere else in Scripture. And that's why I keep telling you now more than ever, whoever you learn from, whether it's me, the pastors, anybody else, I'm not even going to say names anymore, whoever you choose or you're brought to learn from, learn, but use discernment. Base everything you hear, everything you hear on the black and white. Now more than ever, there's a lot of deception out there. To discern, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who already have some knowledge. You see what I'm saying here? You need and I need to, the more we add to our fund of knowledge of the black and white scripture, the more we will make, take advantage of wisdom because we'll already have the knowledge to discern that her words are right. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire, nothing you desire can ever compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. This is the first person here. I possess knowledge and dis discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine, she says. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule the earth. I love those who love me. You hear that? Do not despise wisdom. Get wisdom. And those who seek me, find me. But that offer's closing, folks. That window of opportunity is shutting fast. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth, enduring wealth and prosperity. You see, I tell you to plan on one end, but you get wisdom 
and you have enduring wealth no matter what happens. You will be fearless and bulletproof living this life. And I hopefully am a testimony to that. I do not walk around in fear. I may get startled like anybody else. And I'm not preparing out of fear. I've done what I reasonably can and I know God will handle the rest because someone could take everything that I have or I could run out of fuel before the lights ever come back on and have no generator. It doesn't matter what I have, gold, silver, anything, right? It doesn't matter whether I have meds if I'm taking them. If I've prepared the best I can, wisdom will guard my heart because I know that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if I build on that and I have it, I know God will prepare and I know it in my bones. I do not fear and you should not be fearing either. My fruit is better than fine gold, verse 19. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I will walk in ways of righteousness, along paths of justice, bestowing wealth, true wealth, which is not just a dollar, gold, on those who love me and making their full treasuries full, or their treasury. The Lord, now listen, verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity. And from the beginning, before the world began. This is wisdom, folks. And there's more here. Verse uh, 30. Then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. This is wisdom, his companion. Rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. You and I are special creations being made in the image of God. And as Christians, he lives in us. So if all mankind, I mean, delighted, if she's delighting in all mankind, it's, be, it's not because wisdom didn't know what was going to happen, but there's a purpose for mankind and an end to it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise and do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me. Watch daily at my doors, waiting at my door, for whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. And finally, but whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me, wisdom, love, death. And that's the end. We made it. A couple of people walked out. Yes, I did. But I had to finish. I finished the race today. I finished the race today. Well, I went over. I did finish it.